Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Mike Lanana and Jim Schonert, I'm John Manuel. We're brought to you by Louisville Slugger every week here on the podcast. Go to at Slugger Nation on Instagram or on Twitter. Plenty of great offers. And just to kind of get the vibe of college baseball, you do a nice job on the Instagram, I've noticed, on Slugger Nation from around the uh, ball clubs that use Louisville Slugger bats. And, of course, you can follow us on Instagram, at Baseball America on Instagram. And we're at Baseball America on Twitter. And, guys, uh, kind of a... Uh, interesting week as the way things went this weekend in college baseball as Southeastern Conference play started um, and the way those results went, the, the top of the league remains the top of the league and not only is it the top of the league guys, it's the top of our poll mm-hmm. SEC teams at 1, 2, 4, 5, and 6 and uh, that's, I, that, I don't, you know, we haven't uh, been able to crunch all the numbers, there's only one other SEC team in the rest of the rankings, Mississippi State falling down to 20 but I, mean, I think we knew the top of this league was really strong, guys. But I don't think we've—I I don't remember that we've ever had a rankings in all the years I've been here. As you guys are constantly reminded of how old I am, but <laughs> it's been a long time, and I don't remember t- one conference having five of the top 16s. Jim, I don't—you've tied up I, a lot of these over your years here too. Yeah, I mean, I think there have been there have been some years where we might have like three in the top four or something like that from. I think there have been years where the Big 12 or the Pac-12s had that or the ACC. But, I mean, what did it say? Four, five of the top six. Yeah, I cannot. That's That's got to be unprecedented. I think it is unprecedented, and I think it's also deserved. And, uh, you know, one of the teams that uh, jumps out of this, we've talked a little bit about LSU and these other teams that are at the top, Texas A&M guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, watched a little bit of them on, on the TV this weekend against uh, Auburn. And I don't care who you're playing. 21 and 0 is 21 and 0. And they're doing this despite a fairly consistent string of injuries where they're not fully healthy. They don't have the team they thought they'd have. And yet they, they just keep on winning. I mean, uh, if you had to pick out some keys here, Mike and Jim, I mean, what, what sticks out to you about Texas A&M? How are they winning 21 in a row? Besides the fact their schedule coming into this weekend wasn't the stoutest schedule. And I guess, Jim, you should start. You saw them in Houston. What, what jumped out to you there, and what's jumped out to you since then? Well, what jumped out there was the, uh, we'll say the, veteran, the veteranness of their lineup, for one thing. They've got a lot of, a lot of experience, and obviously a lot of their best players are sophomores as well. The guys like Nick, Nick Banks and you know, Ronnie Kid, Gideon, too. I mean, he's had a bit of a slow start, but... Uh, you know, and but they've got a lot of juniors and seniors, guys that have been around. Got like Mitchell now. Now, if I can, I think it's um, now. now. Yeah, <laughs> I think that I think threw me off all last weekend. But uh, anyway, he's a guy who's you know getting his chance. You know, he's had a big breakout first quarter of the season anyway. Um, and I mean, they're pitching at the time. I mean, you know, we'll see what. I mean, they've lost. You know, you had losing AJ Minter on top of losing Tyler Stubblefield, so. We'll see how that goes, but I mean they've got depth. I mean they bring in uh, uh, who was it that pitched on Sunday? But um, anyway, they you know they've also they got um, Matt Kent's had a really good start. Grayson Long's been really good. Um, so they've got they've been able to weather it so far. I mean we'll see what they do in conference play. You kind of I mean we've kind of talked about how um, you know we've got all these teams up here. They can't you wouldn't expect they're not all going to be national seeds. So I mean some of them is going to. Someone's going to end up 16 and 14 or something like that in the conference, but uh, I mean that's 21 and 0. I mean, in sweeping Auburn, I mean Auburn's not world beaters, but they're they were playing well and they've got talent. It's young, but they've got talent, and to sweep them, you know, beating Keegan Thompson on Friday and then you know coming from and just kind of 
just outpacing them the last couple of days. I mean, that's that was impressive. Hey, Mike Turner Larkins is who uh, Jim was trying to think that's of there, the freshman, uh, you know, highly regarded freshman. You know, last year's Texas high school draft class was very poor, like record-setting poor by Texas standards. But Turner Larkins was one of the top arms in the state, and they held on to him. And, and now you can see how important it is they held on to him. They need pitching depth, and they get it from Larkins. You know, no pressure, second weekend start, go out there in an SEC series and keep us perfect. And he goes out there and he pitched very, very well, seven strikeouts. And it feels like they have a different hero kind of every game, every night. And they have that kind of team where they can win a lot of different ways. Right. Kind of piggybacking off of, of what Jim was saying, I, I thought this weekend was, was huge for them because it was really, given their schedule so far, it was really their first test right. uh, against Auburn, who, who is a good team, a young team, but a, still a quality team. And the fact that not having Minter, not having Stubblefield, that they're able to pitch well, that they're able to get a guy like Larkins to come in on Sunday and, and throw like he did. And Matt Kent had a nice start as well. You know, it's it's a good sign for this team, and it, it adds a little a little legitimacy, a little more legitimacy at least to what they're doing so far this season. I think it really did. I mean, you, you guys profiled uh, Auburn in the weekend preview, and Auburn has talent. This is kind of, I guess the flip side of this is, you know, we're kind of waiting for Auburn to show are they for real or not. And, you know, they had a tougher non-conference schedule to this point, but, you know, go on the road to open SEC play, and, and they aren't able to win a game. Um, now it's a tech time for Texas A&M to go on the road. They'll be at Alabama yeah. next weekend. I mean, it does look like it, it does look like Alabama's starting to play better. I mean, they just went yeah. at Mississippi State, so right. You kind of figure the the streak probably ends this week, but I mean, you know, the way they you never know. I mean, they've got a lot of confidence. They're finding ways to pull out these games late. They didn't really have to this in this series, but uh, you know, they've had games they've had to pull out late to get a you know late home run or you know get you know the bullpen gets them out of big jams or, or what have you. So they, I mean. You never, you never know how long they might this might keep going. Yeah, I mean, it's very difficult to expect any team to keep on winning. Heck, they might lose a Prairie View A and M, you know. But I do think what Texas A and M has shown us is that they're better than we thought they were coming into the year. That's not just schedule. There's a confidence factor there. The thing that I kind of it reminds me kind of of what we've seen the last few years out of Kentucky. It feels like Kentucky's gotten out of the gates several mm-hmm. times over the last few years, and you kind of wonder about those the, the SEC programs that aren't the blue blood programs, but A and M's close to that obviously they've been to Omaha in, in recent iterations not as a member of the SEC but a few years back when they had Naquin and Waka uh, so this is not a program that's uh, you know new to Omaha it's not like Auburn where Auburn hasn't been to Omaha since 1997 now um, one of the longest routes in the SEC that might even be the longest route now that Ole Miss went last year I'm trying to think <clears throat> I think um, it's Kentucky because Kentucky Kentucky's hasn't been. been yeah. I think right. outside of Kentucky, though, the next the longest route of the teams that have been yeah, was, uh, and have been in the SEC a long time. Been, right, Mizzou yeah. hasn't been uh, in some time. But the, of those old school SEC teams, Auburn's droughts up there. And, is, and Alabama's like one year later, right? 1999, yeah, okay, two, years, two years, two years more recently. So it's kind of yeah. Those, both, both of them have been. Uh, that, well, that long without it. It's not coincidental that those are the two states that don't have statewide lottery. That's a state that doesn't have a statewide lottery funding its uh, colleges like Georgia and Florida do in, in Louisiana. And that's what those coaches used to complain about all the time was they don't have statewide lottery money. It's not the same playing field for them as it was for Georgia, Florida, Louisiana. That's, that's what I always heard from Jim Wells for all those years uh, that he was at Alabama. And uh, to his credit, I haven't heard the same thing from the two new co- the coaching staffs there now. But uh, not, the, not the step that Auburn wanted to take. Florida, meanwhile, you know, big win on Friday for Tennessee. You kind of think maybe Tennessee will turn things around. Uh, they wind up still losing that series. That's got to be a little bit of a heartbreaker when you beat Logan Shore, yeah. and then you can't and doing uh, come it the back way they did. I mean, just 
crushing the ball. <laughs> what was his, what was the stat that he'd given up two gave home up, runs his entire I think career? He gave up one. I think he gave up one his whole career. It was la- none this year. He gave up one last year, and he gives up three in the first inning. That's not four in the game. That's not something that you would and, predict. Uh, no, that goes in the hashtag can't predict ball category. No. I think for baseball, but uh, Texas A&M also the only team in the SEC West that swept this weekend. But LSU did not sweep. They lose a game in extra innings on Saturday to Ole Miss where Alex Lang turned yeah, in. Funny, you know, Alex Lang was dealing. If it wasn't the yeah. best outing by a pitcher in college baseball this weekend, you know, Trey Killian had seven no-hit innings for Arkansas. Uh, we'll have more about that on the website today at BaseballAmerica.com. But um, you, know, you, you talk about if it wasn't the best, it was one of the best. Mm-hmm. I mean, Alex Lang was fantastic mm-hmm. for LSU. But they still do win the series, guys. And, and we also saw on Sunday they're starting to peek through a little bit of that offense that we thought LSU would have. For me, Mike, they've been the most consistent team and the most impressive team, the most complete team in the country thus far this season. Right. Well, going into the season, we they looked like one of the most complete teams. It was just the the freshman pitching that right. we were we were concerned about, and obviously, uh, there's a little less concern right now with with how Lang through this weekend and how Godfrey's been for most of the year. He wasn't at his best on Sunday, but still a quality outing. Um, Lang. I was watching the game, and he looked filthy. That's a, I don't know what, how you want to classify that breaking ball, it's, but that is a dirty breaking ball. Yeah, it does have a little slurvy kind of slider-type movement to it. Because it has that slider velocity with right. that almost like hard downer curveball action. So right. sometimes it really doesn't – sometimes it's not helpful to try to decide whether it's a slider or a curveball. Sometimes it's just the breaking ball. And, uh, yeah, it definitely that, breaks. Yeah, it, it breaks, <laughs> and it's the other thing that it has. It, it has action. Yeah. It's hard, and it's late. And that's mm-hmm. what defines a good breaking ball. Those are the things you're looking for: right. is that shape, that action, and that, that whether that action is late or early. He's got late, hard depth on it, and I think every pitching coach will tell you they'd rather see a breaking ball throw with power than not. And right. he doesn't have a problem throwing a breaking ball with power. And the thing that stood out to me too about his outing is he mixed in his changeup quite a bit as well. Mm-hmm. He's got a few swings and misses on it as well. It's yeah. it's not going to be maybe a plus pitch, but right. still something that he can mix in. It doesn't have to be when the other two pitchers are so yeah. good. And if you're throwing strikes with the fastball and you have that breaking ball that's going to be in every hitter's head, it's going to be in every scouting report. That when he gets ahead of you, he's going to look to go to that pitch. The changeup just has to be. Really, the arm action is really the key there. As long as your arm speed's close enough on the change to your fastball, you're going to get a lot of hitters out front when you throw it like that. I guess the other question to me, guys, is uh, you know their bats are starting to come around. I mean, Alex Bregman's starting to really get locked in. Some of that Albuquerque swagger is starting to show <laughs> for Alex Bregman. It's easier to have it when you're hitting, when you're going well, but it doesn't feel like there's a big hole in that lineup, guys. I mean, that's kind of what they are. So far, Jim, offensively, they kind of are who we thought they were. Yeah, I think other than, I think, when I saw them in Houston, I think they had I think their shortstop Kramer Robertson's in like two hundred or something in the nine spot. But that's your one that's your one break. You better you better get him out when he's up there. But uh, yeah, I mean one through eight. I mean I think for a while it was you know Bregman was like the only guy under three hundred, and now he's starting to get hot. And and even when he wasn't, I mean you know Paul Maneri talked about it, he was he was hitting balls hard consistently, and I saw that in Houston. I mean he was I think every even all the outs he made were hit hard, and now he's. You know, I think he hit a home run or two this weekend, and then I mean the guys that you know Connor Hales had a great start, and they've just got Al, um, Andrew Stevenson's obviously got a you know brings a lot of speed at the top of the lineup. So I mean it's 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 a really dangerous lineup. They can beat you different ways. I mean it's not just you know this is kind of the big difference between them and what we've seen in the past, where it's not just um, or maybe what how you might think of LSU with the gorilla ball and all, all that kind of stuff. I mean they 
they run a lot now. I right. don't say a lot. But maybe I shouldn't say a lot, but they run more than they're, we're, we're used to seeing from LSU. I mean, it's aggressive. They're, yeah. It's an aggressive. They're, they're, the mentality you can tell that that mentality that mm-hmm. Palmineri talked about, uh, Juan Andy Canizar mm-hmm. to yep. bring to the to their lineup. That mentality is there. They are mm-hmm. whether they're going to maintain that all year is is you know remains to be seen. There's a lot of baseball yet to be played, but they do have an aggressive mentality mm-hmm. on the bases. I thought it was very impressive in that Saturday night game how well Ole Miss handled them and mm-hmm. uh, kept them. Uh, it's not like LSU out hit them in that game, but I was impressed with Ole Miss as well. I mean, we've seen Ole Miss to their credit; they've uh, they they've been played, tested. Played a tough schedule. Yeah. They really have. Their ten and nine is not other teams ten and nine, but I don't know if you guys had impressions of Ole Miss from the weekend as well, watching them uh, on on SEC Network. I mean, we've seen them be competitive. I mean, with these, you know, they played UCF on the road. They were competitive in that series. We've seen them, you know, other than Sunday, obviously. But they, uh, you know, com- you say that you know, competitive against LSU for two games. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, they'll they'll they're probably putting themselves in a little bit of a a hole as far as like being a, a host and whatnot. But they'll, right. I mean, they'll be, uh, you know, they'll they'll be there at the end. I think they'll they'll be tougher for this experience of of playing these these weekend matchups because they have played some tough series and. I mean, there is a lot of talent on the team. Sykes Orvis seemed like he was finally getting going this right. weekend, which is big for them. He had the big double in the in the 14th inning. They really needed his bat to get going in the lineup. Brady Bramlett's had been great for them. He, you know, he he wasn't quite Alex Lang good, but he right. at least kept up with him. He was very consistent game. in that game. He threw right. a lot of strikes. When he missed, he missed down. I was impressed with Bramlett in that game as well. And right. to me, Ole Miss's athleticism kind of stands out. I mean, not a lot of college teams with. Sophomores with the kind of athletic talent that Errol Robinson and J.B. Woodman have up the middle, and those are draft guys who came through high school and were fairly highly regarded on the showcase circuit. And uh, I remember writing about those guys in high school, then watching their progression. You can see the quality of the bats is getting there for Woodman and for Errol Robinson. The guy just has really good hands, and they're I feel like they're secure and more athletic than most teams are going to be up the middle. So I'm with you guys. I'm impressed to to a point with Ole Miss. At some point, the reason they're not in the rankings is ten and nine is ten and nine. Yeah. You know, looking for them to win a few more of those games. Um, Vanderbilt's other SEC team up here; they're ranked fourth, uh, and South Carolina's at six. I think we'd all agree that Vanderbilt seems to be after seeing them last week in Dodgertown. Uh, Mike, obviously, they got Walker Bueller back at the end of the weekend. He throws well, so there's a little bit of a little shake up and a little reshaping of their weekend rotation. And with that, they've uh, they've really played well, and they, they kind of dominated Arkansas the last two games, at least on the mound. Right, right. No, the the biggest development with them is obviously getting Bueller back, and then inserting Sheffield into that rotation as well. And he was excellent. Uh, he's been great for them out of the bullpen all year, but now getting a a Sunday start, he he kind of takes that rotation to another level if he continues to pitch that well. You know, I like I like Vanderbilt. Obviously, we all like Vanderbilt a lot, and. Uh, you know, you look at LSU and they do look like a, a more complete team at this point, just what they can provide offensively top and down and with right. the way their freshman pitchers are, are pitching. But Vanderbilt's not far behind. They're right there. And, you know, with the way Rhett Wiseman is hitting, there aren't many hitters who are hotter than Rhett Wiseman right that right now. And Dansby Swanson is doing Dansby Swanson things. And he it's, is. You know, it's been... Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not surprised to see them roll off five wins this week. Dansby Swanson is doing Dansby Swanson <laughs> things. And and you kind of wonder when Brian Reynolds starts doing Brian Reynolds things, mm-hmm. their offense is probably going to take another step forward. And right. I think I said this last week, the top five in their lineup is just, I, you know, I would not want to go through that as a starting pitcher four times in a game. And I would not imagine that many pitchers would be able to do that five times in a game, four, I, mean, I should say four times in a game. You're going to need your bullpen against Vanderbilt. They also provided one of the funner plays I saw on the weekend 
the video the, of Roe Coleman's slide where he danced away from the Arkansas catcher. I didn't catch the catcher's name, but Roe Coleman's 5'2". You know, <laughs> it's not easy to find him with a tag anytime. time, uh, not to mention when he's trying to dance around the back of the plate. It was just a fun play to watch. And again, that, that this is a team that I, I almost wonder if LSU's professed desire to be more aggressive on the base pass is a direct result of Vanderbilt and seeing how effective their collective team speed and athleticism has been. One of the things I want to throw out is uh, you know, Vanderbilt, we, I've talked about their turf a lot over the years, and I was talking to a cross-checker last week about just scouting all these college shortstops, the Richie Martins and the Bregmans and, and Kyle Holder, my latest obsession, the USD, um, Mikey White, et cetera, et cetera. So many of them are in the SEC. And he talked about how their team is not evaluating, really, Dansby Swanson when he plays at Vanderbilt. Not defensively, because of their turf. They want to evaluate him off their turf. So um, I just thought that was a little interesting little nugget that's thrown in. And uh, to me, Vanderbilt just – I feel like it's hard to say whose ceiling is higher, Vanderbilt's or LSU's as a team. I happen to think it's probably LSU's because of the offensive firepower they have. But mm-hmm. if Vanderbilt – they were pretty complete this weekend – Coming from behind, kind of when they, you know, Fulmer didn't pitch well necessarily on Friday, uh, and winning that game, and then just really kind of putting the hammer down. It feels like they can have in a week where they play five games, they're going to have three of those automatically that are where they give up two or fewer runs in those games. Their pitching is just too deep. I don't know, Jim. Who do you think has the higher ceiling of those two teams, LSU, Vandy? I will lean LSU on account of their, um, you know, we'll see what Lang and you know, kind of Lang and God for you, you know, if they keep. If you know if they if they keep it up what they're doing, I mean it's I like I kind of like their lineup a little better coming into the year. I mean obviously like Vanderbilt's too, but you know, you know I think that was kind of you know with the ceiling of what those two guys have. Um, you know we'll see if they hit a wall at some point. That's kind of a thing to keep in mind with freshmen. But um, yeah, I, I would. I, I mean having seen the Tigers in person, I mean they just they're just they they can do a, they could they're so they're really complete. They've got a lot of weapons in the bullpen, which. You know, I mean, they, I think they, I guess they did give up one. They gave up a lead in the, lot, the game they lost. But right. otherwise, it's been, I mean, it's been definitely been a strength all season. It was really good in Houston. It was, you know, it was good in the, you know, it was, they locked down the game on Friday when uh, Pochet had to come out in the sixth inning. And, um, yeah, I mean, obviously Vanderbilt has pretty much a limitless amount of weapons on the uh, on the mound. But, I mean, <laughs> it sure seems that way. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll lean with towards the Tigers. Mike, you got a pick there? Which, which one do you think has a higher ceiling? <laughs> Uh, in terms of ceiling, I think I might lean a little bit more toward LSU as well. Um, I think Vanderbilt's the safer bet. Yeah, just I think because so of too. the experience mm-hmm. all across the lineup and in the rotation as well. I mean, it's I'm not tough sure to if you beat. call it Omaha swagger, but there is some certain yeah. something. All those college national team guys talked about it last summer. Right, just the way that the Vanderbilt players were the cocks of the walk as soon as they showed up, basically uh, in in uh, carry. Right, and someone asked me in last week's chat, you know, who out of the Dodger Town teams do you think has the the best chance of making it Omaha? And I, I said Vanderbilt, just you know, because of that, because of the intangibles and the tangibles that they bring to the field. I think they are the safer bet at this point, but I think LSU, obviously, they're our number one team. I think they do have a slightly higher ceiling just with all the talent they have. I agree. One other team I do want to throw out because I know one of our guys, it might have been one of you guys, who saw Missouri when they were here. And I actually uh, have a friend in the area who's a Mizzou alum and ran into him Saturday night and he said, I, I hear I saw Mizzou one again today. How about Missouri's 15-4? and four? They sweep Georgia this weekend to open conference play, which is quite the setback for the Bulldogs. 
kind of were hoping for that spring forward season here with Scott Strickland's second year. But the other thing with Missouri that stands out, I just you know, went and looked at their schedule. They got swept by Milwaukee at home last weekend. So you're thinking that's that's quite the bounce back. Yeah, Tim Jamison's done a lot with this club over the years, but this is their first conference sweep since 2009 against Nebraska. Wow. That was in the Big 12, so both teams obviously split off there. Um, but a big series sweep for uh, for Missouri, and that's the other thing that just and that just goes to show to me the thing that stands out the most about the SEC is just the depth. And right. um, we say it every year. But if you're looking at how many teams are going to be regional hosts, and we have five SEC teams in our top six, are you going to have five top eight national seeds? Probably not. But are you going to have five regional hosts or top, you know, 16 out of the 16 one seeds and hosts? Yeah, you probably are. And one of the reasons for that is there's no SEC killers, I mean, uh, RPI killers in the SEC. Yeah. There just aren't. I mean, Tennessee is the only team that's even sniffing 500, them and Arkansas, at 8-8, eight and 9-8. Eight, and eight. So... That really stands out, and that's you know the Tennessee getting I mean, Missouri getting swept at home by Milwaukee. That's going to be tough on their RPI, but that's the way you bounce back from that. And they have, they're going to have a pretty gaudy record when it's all said and done. Um, that's one of the other things that just sets the Southeastern Conference apart. And uh, you know, again, South Carolina with a sweep this weekend as well. They're in our, the t- toward the top of our rankings. One new team in our top ten this week was Rice. And Rice has played that difficult schedule. They just kind of keep on keeping on. They open the uh, Conference USA play with a sweep. Um, team that fell out of our top ten guys, all the way down to 14. Well, two teams, I guess, 14 and 15, UVA and Oregon. I guess from my standpoint with Virginia guys, it just felt like it was just inevitable, or hashtag inevitable, <laughs> that Virginia was going to have a bump in the road. Because of the injuries, because of kind of the way that things have shaken out for them so far this year, where they're just so young. But that said, I was a little bit stunned that they're weak. Uh, they get housed at home by Old Dominion, and then get swept um, by Virginia Tech. And no shame in losing to Sean Caselica. He's a veteran, two-way guy for the Hokies. Uh, left-hander, can command it, uh, good, pretty good pitch feel. So no shock necessarily there, but to get swept by the Hokies, that was a, that was a stunner. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what you guys uh, kind of how concerned are you guys overall about UVA big picture wise? This is really their first. That was this is their biggest test because you're on the road in conference and they failed that test. Right. I, I do have some concerns about the offense just because of how young it is. At times they start five freshmen right in, in that starting lineup and it hurts that they don't have Joe McCarthy for the first 12 weeks of the season. You know I think. Their mode right now is just kind of tread water until he gets back. Try to, you know, not... That's really what they're yeah. doing. They're just trying yeah. to kind of hang on, really, right now, yeah. in some ways. So, and, I mean, Paven Smith has been great for them. He's a freshman who's been fantastic for them. It looks like Adam Hazley is starting to pick things up a little bit. They really need his bat to get going. Obviously, he's a freshman, but he has the tools. They just need to, to lean on him a little bit. Ernie Clement got off to a hot start, but he's out of the leadoff spot now. They're really just looking up and down the lineup. They just really don't have that that big threat, that big fearsome threat that you look for in a starting lineup, which, you know, it's tough. They have the pitching. Nathan Kirby's been excellent this year. Connor Jones has been great this year. Waddell hasn't been far behind them. But it's just a matter if they're going to be able to score enough. You look at the three games they lost to Virginia Tech this weekend, 2-1, 3-1, 6-5, all games that were within reach, but they just couldn't score enough to, to put them away. And it's amazing to me, um, you see this sometimes in basketball with the smaller rosters where they'll have like the walk-ons who wind up getting more playing time or that kind of thing. But I did see this article before we were uh, 
coming in here and then just doing some research for the podcast about how you know, they're, they're auditioning club players for practice at Virginia. Mm-hmm. They're that banged up. Um, you know, they've had LaPriest banged up. Uh, it's not just, you know, LaPriest and, and uh, you know, McCarthy. That's two-thirds of your starting outfield and two mm-hmm. guys you'd figure hit in the middle or top of your lineup. And they've had them for a combined four games this year. It's just they're not who we thought they were yet, Jim. Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of uh, what's next, I guess, really for this team? Like, how do they get better? off of uh, these struggles? Is it really going to be a matter of just some of those freshmen offensively just kind of picking things up? Because I feel like they pitched all right. It's it's not an ideal time for Florida State to come to town. but uh, (laughs) Right. Yeah, I mean, obviously it just feels like they're just – I mean, the pitching is – I mean, the pitching is doing its part. I mean, Kirby's being Kirby. Uh, Obviously, we talked about Connor Jones is his star on the rise. But, um, yeah, I mean, they're just relying on – you know, just a handful of guys offensively. I mean, Matt Theis has been off to a great start – and we talked about Paven Smith, but I mean, it's, it's, they're just not, you know, they're just not, you know, we think we talked about what was it, the uh, Saturday game, they leave 11 men on base and lose, you know, only score one run. I mean, it's, it's, uh, they're just not, it's tough to string together many rallies. I mean, they're, you know, they've got a decent number of home runs, so maybe, you know, you get a solo home run to score a run, but that's, that's all they're, you know, it's all, it's like that's all they're getting. I, th- I think that this quote in this uh, Andrew Ronsbacher story of the Daily Progress in uh, Virginia and mm-hmm. uh, Charlottesville, yeah, they're very thin and they're very young. Mm-hmm. That's Virginia right now. So they're very talented as well. He left that part out. They are still very talented, but uh, you lose a conference series on the road, you get swept, you're going to get hit in the rankings. Oregon did not get swept. They kind of jumped up the rankings quite a bit last week. We knocked the Ducks back a little bit this week, and I kind of like that Cal team. Um, weren't able to pull off the sweep, but uh, Oregon uh, winds up losing that series two out of three as well. You guys want to pivot off of the ACC or the Pac-12 a little bit off of those two because we can go in either direction on this. Uh, anybody got a, 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 a choice? We probably should go start with the ACC because we talked a little bit about Florida State's going to Charlottesville next week. And then Florida State, another strong week for the Seminoles. This team just offensively, um, that, that were, there were some offensive fireworks. Wake Forest, we actually had a Twitter question about it, mm-hmm. about Wake Forest. Those are two of the better ace, uh, offensive teams in the ACC. Um, it, one, uh, it was Dylan uh, on Twitter, Dylan Finkst, I believe is his name, who wanted to know, uh, chances Wake Forest keeps up this ox- offensive explosion, or can they, be, uh, can they be consistent? I'll just go back to in the preseason questionnaire, Tom Walter said, this is the best offensive team I've ever coached. So he believes Wake Forest can keep this up. Will Craig... Seems like he believes he can keep it up because he's keeping it up. He's hitting 442 with six home runs. Can Florida State keep this up, guys? Because it seems like Florida State, uh, they're staking their claim to be one of the best off ACC's, uh, one of the ACC's best offensive teams. And obviously it's going to revolve around D.J. Stewart and just how he performs and produces but how he's pitched to and what it sets up for everyone else. But the pretty nice midweek uh, sweep for them and then to come back and win the series against Wake Forest. Feels like Florida State's been a little bit better than we thought they'd be, Mike. Right, yeah. We we were concerned about the depth that they had. They had a lot of key players leaving, but it, like you said, it all starts with DJ Stewart. He's he's tearing the cover off the ball right now. He has six home runs, uh, 284, 505, 597 right now. And, you know, they do have a good veteran presence in that lineup. John Sansone has hit four home runs this year. Um, and, you know, they outslugged a really powerful Central Florida team. Yeah, that's a physical Central yeah. Florida team. Two nights in a row, which tells you a lot 
tells you a lot about this team that they're able to to outslug that group. And and pitching wise, they haven't been bad. Uh, Boomer Bogowski, uh, yeah, I, I love that name. I'm going to say it every time <laughs> I have the opportunity to. Please he's, make it so. He's been he's been very good for them. Uh, Mike Compton has done a nice job stepping into that Friday role. They need to find a consistent third guy. Kobe Johnson struggled. Here he has the talent, but he struggled. He has not been that guy. And right. you can see Mike Martin was fairly critical of him also in his post game comments of just, you know, you need to come in ready to go from day one in practice and also pitch number one of a game. And, you know, he's having a little bit of trouble finding his rhythm in games the way Coach Martin talked about it. And once he does, he settles in and he's, he can be pretty good. He's shown, he's flashed the potential so far, but he's not where they need him to be yet. And, uh, you know, but they do have uh, depth out of the bullpen, as they always seem to have. They always seem to have multiple arms and come out of there and locate breaking balls for strikes. That's just been the consistent staple of uh, Florida State's programs over the years. And one of the guys they lost was their closer, Jameis Winston, and uh, they don't seem like they've uh, skipped the beat there. Billy Strode has been great for them this year. He has. He's been outstanding. And uh, you know, so, so Florida State, they did jump up our rankings all the way to number 13 ahead of the Cavaliers. And we dropped another team out of the rankings completely in North Carolina, which loses a series at Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. and brought in Georgia Tech, uh, Jim, who you've seen on a couple of occasions. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, Georgia Tech, it's not, it's not just Kel Johnson. Nope. That's a pretty consistent lineup, but they also found a weekend answer in Brandon Gold, a two-way yeah, guy for them. He was really good yesterday afternoon. I mean, against obviously Duke's not you know the, the best offensive team you'll face, but still, he was really good. He really mixed his pitch as well as pitching to both sides of the plate. He was he got a good pitcher's body too. He is. He is. He does. And. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, they just kind of—it was a game that they just kind of grinded out that that win yesterday, and you know, on on Friday they kind of you know they have to deal with Michael Machuela, but you know, he, he goes out of there after four innings. They're able to get it done against the Duke bullpen. Um, you know, they're still kind of you know it feels like they're still kind of piecing it together. The uh, obviously Cole Pitts did not have a very good outing on uh, Saturday, so they're still kind of you know pitching is still the kind of thing we wonder about with them. So it still feels like they're kind of. Might still be certain, searching for answers in the uh, rotation, but I mean, we we like the offense. I mean, obviously, Kel Johnson's kind of the the rising star, but I mean, Daniel Spingol is a veteran guy. We, we love Counter Justice a lot, even though he's had a slow start and he was hitting the nine hole this weekend. But he that's he, him. He's he, he's a glove first guy. Yeah, he had a he had a, he had a few hits though. Um, You're contrasting those two teams, for example, Georgia Tech and North Carolina. Mm-hmm. North Carolina's roster is deeper. They're definitely better on the mound. There's a gaping hole at shortstop, especially with Wood Myers injured. Where Georgia Tech knows that when that ball's hit in that six hole, that play's getting made. Mm-hmm. I don't think North Carolina knows that, and uh, I know I'm harping on their infield defense, but that that team, I'll, I'll give the Carolina coaching staff credit in that nothing has gone according to plan for them uh, at all on the base on the diamond this year. Whether it's scheduling, injuries, pitching staff, whatever, nothing's gone according to plan for for UNC this year. But a little stunned to see them. Uh, you know, out of the rankings, but Mike, this doesn't feel like they've done enough to stay in the top 25. It's not a top 25 resume right now. Right. No, I look at them and I see a, a jigsaw puzzle that hasn't been put together yet. Yeah. And you keep getting pieces thrown out with, with Wood Myers out, Benton Moss, some concerns right. with his arm, um, and uh, Riley Hovis out as well, and he, he wasn't pitching as well as we expected him to either. To Chris, Chris McCube, I mean, you kind of looked at the right. back of their bullpen and said, wow, they've got this junior and senior, both of whom have closed, and those guys have combined to pitch, you know, seven-plus innings and given up 14 right. runs. Right, and there's really no 
there's really no consistency in the rotation either. A lot of movement there. Trent Thornton, you know, moved from the closer's role and now he's back into the rotation. Right. Uh, Zach Allen did the same thing, moved from the bullpen. Now he's back in the rotation. Really, their their best arm has been J.B. Bukowskis, he's, who's been stellar so far, as as many predicted he would be. I mean, he has the stuff, but. It's really just, I think for them, like you said, they do have the talent. It's a talented roster. It's just finding the right mix, especially in the infield. The infield defense is a, is a big point of concern for them. With Wood Myers out now, it's going to be it's going to be difficult to try to, to put together an infield defense that's going to be able to play well behind these pitchers. It's a challenge for them, and uh, kudos, obviously, to uh, to Pittsburgh, which was competitive in Chapel Hill last year, won uh, one of those games. And, and North Carolina's 12-7, and 3-3. and It's just not a... It's not something we're used to seeing over the last few years. It's been a very consistent program in terms of getting to Omaha. What is it, six of the last nine years? Mm-hmm. You, know, you usually give that coaching staff and that program the benefit of the doubt in recent years, but uh, this year's team hasn't quite gotten it done. Um, and then, like you said, just Georgia Tech's the, t- the team that has kind of jumped up into the rankings. Another one that jumped, kind of jumped out to me is Miami sweeping NC State, mm-hmm. NC State, and Clemson. These Two of these other programs have been very inconsistent. Clemson wins that series against South Carolina so emotional and they're 500. They lose a series to uh, Notre Dame this weekend, which is off to a 3-3 three and three start in the league. Uh, obviously, it's a big weekend for Notre Dame in basketball, but a big weekend for Notre Dame in baseball as well. They're 14-4. I don't know what to think of Clemson or NC State, Jim. I mean, especially Clemson. 500 Clemson, team. that's very, uh, very mer- mercurial so far. But, um, yeah, I mean, like we, we were talking about during our meeting, they've played five series and won two of them. Yeah, where they, and one of them was South Carolina. I know. But um, so we we kind of went off went during the meeting. We had a kind of a, a debate about whether to move South Carolina above UCF, and the uh, the uh, knock on them was that they lost to Clemson. I mean, right? But uh, I mean, I mean, you lose at home to West Virginia, where they didn't hit it all in that series. Now you lose to at home to Notre Dame. I mean, Notre Dame's been playing well, so it's not a not a, you know not a horrible series loss, but also they're not. They're not running Pat Connaughton out there either. But That's um, right, he's running. He's too busy running he's, off yeah, he's too busy threes, but um. Yeah, I mean, just you know, it seems like their their pitching is kind of obviously their pitching just fell apart in that NC State series, and now this weekend, you know, they, I mean, they, I think it was they won the first game, and then they just, you know, you, you got to finish the job at home. You got to right, you got to win that series. I mean, they've lost two home series now with West Virginia and, and um, Notre Dame. I mean, it's a very, I mean, you figure, I mean, it's not you a, figure not they've not got enough talent. Yeah, yeah, you figure they've got enough talent. They've, there's a chance they can get it together if they can. You know, if they can go 500 in the ACC, they'll probably get in because they've got a, obviously they do have a marquee non-conference series win. But I mean, it's hard to see them doing any doing any damage the way they're the way they're currently constituted. That's a, and it's a big weekend for Miami to have uh, swept NC State. I guess the thing that stood out to me was they only gave up. You know, they didn't got, give up many runs. NC State. Score is back is big. Right. Yeah. I mean, getting score is back is huge. Our Hudson Belinsky actually was down. I didn't even realize he was in South Florida. I knew he was in Florida. I didn't realize it was Miami. So I think he He's just everywhere. talked to Andrew Suarez. He is. That guy's everywhere. So I don't know well, how he does it. He doesn't sleep. I think that's a big part of it. Uh, you, you young, you young whippersnappers with your lack of sleep uh, surprises me and, and impresses me. Um, I wanted to shift gears to the Pac-12 real quick. Um, I'll tell you two things stand out to me in the Pac-12. One was uh, when we talked about SEC's depth. You know, too many teams with, with bad records in the Pac-12 either. One of them is Utah, and they go on the road and win a series at Arizona. And if Arizona winds up on the bubble, and Arizona is a team that's really hitting again, mm-hmm. top of the lineup. With Kingry and Dahlbeck That's and Kevin Newton. It's a dangerous lineup. It's a very dangerous lineup, and uh, they get 16 hits in the Saturday game against Utah. 
But they put Dahlbeck on the mound on Saturday, and he gave up seven runs. And they, they gave up nine runs to Utah the last two innings. They're winning seven to nothing, blow that game, and then they wind up losing the series. That's one that if we go to the end of the year and uh, and we're debating how many Pac-12 teams need to get in, mm-hmm. and if Arizona doesn't get in, that's the one they're going to point to is losing a home series to a Utah team. That's you, you know you just expect it when you look at it geographically, historically. Utah, I like Bill Kitterberg. It does a nice job there. But usually Utah's not one of the top-tier teams now that it's new to the Pac-12. And that, that's going to be one that Arizona might really rue the day that they uh, did not win that series. And the other big news out of the Pac-12, I guess, is Stanford, which is a 500 team as well, record-wise, losing their Friday starter, Cal Quantrill. He hasn't pitched this month. Now the report says Jeff Blair, he's Canadian, uh, Quantrill is, so... Uh, the Canadian press, of course, breaks this first. Uh, Jeff Blair, our former longtime Montreal Expos correspondent. Now he's like a radio guy, works for Sportsnet, baseball guy in Canada. Um, I just love that he's transitioned from the Ice Expo to uh, to the, the Blue Jays. But Jeff uh, re- broke that news, and we've got to confirm from a lot of scouts that uh, Tommy John surgery coming for Cal Quantrill. I don't see Stanford recovering from that. It's just not a program that has the pitching depth to recover from that. I don't feel like we know a whole lot about who the best team in the Pac-12 is, guys. Uh, right now, our highest-ranked team remains the Trojans after what they did at Dodgertown. And USC uh, you know, grinds out a series win this weekend. Uh, what's impressed you about these guys, uh, about the Trojans, that you saw them last week, Mike? And mm-hmm. kind of what, what's made USC a top-10 team to this point? This is a team that hasn't been to regionals in a decade. Right. Uh, what are they doing right? Right. Well, I like the veteran presence in their lineup. Uh, Dante Flores looks like he, things are really coming together for him. Uh, he's their second baseman. He's blooming, he's, blossoming. He's, he's blooming, as, as Vince Lara punned on, uh, on yes. Twitter. A bi- bilingual pun. That's right. It was bilingual. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's, he's got three names, so of course he would be able to exactly. bilingual punning. That's yeah. exactly right for Vince. Yeah, so he's been blossoming for them. I really like Bobby Stahill at the top of the lineup, a really athletic really athletic guy and he, he's been an igniter for them and, and and plus the rotation has been with Brent Wheatley he's pitched very well Kyle Toomey the last couple starts has been a little iffy but Mitch Hart has been great as a freshman he had a no hitter working through through five innings uh yesterday against Washington State he's a guy who's going to pound the zone 90 to 92 uh coach Dan Hubbs um said that he wanted to finish off hitters a little bit better he's had a hard time putting hitters away once he gets two strikes had five strikeouts yesterday, not great in nine mm-hmm. innings, but still a little better. I mean, the fact of the matter is he pitched nine innings. He allowed only two hits. He right. gave up no runs. I mean, he's a guy who has really held down that Sunday spot for him and as long as well as having a, a veteran lineup and a, and a group that has a little swagger, that has a little confidence coming off of last year. You know, I, I like USC. Um, I think on paper UCLA might have a little more talent, but USC's definitely mm-hmm. played better of the two in recent weeks. And it really feels like uh, you mentioned their pitching. It seems like Matt Curtis, uh, pitching coach there in his second year, uh, was at Fresno State when Fresno State won his national championship in 2008, was head coach at uh, Cal State Northridge for a couple of years. It feels like he started to – he's developed some depth there. They've got some bullpen depth. They don't have just the one guy they have to go to. Right. And it feels like there is uh, – you mentioned Wheatley, Hart, obviously Toomey was a high draft. This feels like a, a, a rotation that it's capable of keeping this going all year. It doesn't feel like it's a fluke. And we had them as a regional team coming into the year, Jim, but yep. we weren't necessarily sure just what the ceiling was. It's kind of hard to go out on that limb when a team hasn't gone to Omaha for a de- I mean, Omaha, I haven't gone to regionals for a decade. But this does feel like a different uh, USC team 
and you know, and they're doing it on the field. You kind of, I guess, that's the other part of this is you kind of have to give them their credit. They keep on winning and figure out a way to win that series. Washington State came up with a, you know, you, you had that Sunday game that uh, kind of de- decides the weekend series. Pretty emphatic uh, win. Going away, yeah. yeah, pretty emphatic win there for uh, uh, for the Trojans. Uh, the other SC, uh, Pac-12 teams that we've had in here, we, we mentioned UC, uh, UCLA. I feel like we talked a lot about Arizona State this year. I, I feel like coming into the year, we knew. They're going to hang their hat on. You, you figure this weekend rotation with Lillard coming back and, and Kellogg and some of the veteran presence there. But this just feels like the buzz on this Arizona State team is pretty strong. They haven't had an emphatic weekend yet where they've gone out there and just uh, dominated people. But this feels like a, uh, just a more aggressive program and team all the way around. Yeah, it just feels like there's a lot of, you know, from everything you kind of read coming out of there, it just sounds like there's a, so many positive vibes with the – you know the energy in the in the fan base with the new park and with Tracy Smith coming in there and what they've what they've been able to do so far. I mean, you know, they, obviously Lilac and Kellogg are kind of the guys that everyone's no, everyone knows and they've they've been throwing pretty well. But you know, Colby Woodmancy was a you know physical guy at shortstop that we you know thought he kind of struggled as a freshman last year. But we thought he we might he, he might have a breakout year and so he's been really good so far. And they've got a you know a lot of it's just a veteran lineup and they've got a lot of guys that can hit up and down the line and up and down that lineup there and. You know, they've kind of been, you know, they, you know, they start the season with a, you know, series win against Oklahoma State, which at the time we had ranked very high. They've kind of right. struggled. They've got, I think they've gotten a little bit better, but they kind of struggled a bit early in the year. But um, they very competitive with TCU and, um, you know, now in, in beating. I mean, Oregon State's obviously a. Um, I'm gonna have a item on KJ Harrison for three strikes, but uh, I mean, Oregon, Oregon State's got a lot of young talent. They're probably. Not ready to go on the road and win a series like that yet, but uh, I mean that's a good give that's a good month. team. Give yeah, him, give, him give a month. Them a month. It seems like but, that's uh, going to be a very that's going to be a very dangerous that team will this be. Pac-12 season. Yeah, by the end of the year, that'll be a dangerous team. Obviously, Andrew Moore was outstanding on Friday. Um, but yeah, anyway, so that's a good series. That's a really good series win to start conference play. And uh, yeah, I mean we Sun Devils. I mean we've kind of had them. They've just kind of been hovering in that sixteen to eighteen range all year. Right. I mean, it's kind of seems like when they win, all the teams ahead of them win or. You know, we just kind of really had an opportunity to really give them a big, uh, a big bump. But um, I mean, that's a, you know, that's a team that, you know, was going to be in the mix for hosting and national seeds and all that stuff. I mean, they're that's a, that's a, a deep, well-rounded team. The thing that stands out to me, Mike, also is that just they seem like they're never done in any of these games, and right. there, there's a lot of late game drama. Ryan Burr's got seven saves for them, and he's got a reputation, but he's not necessarily automatic. He's he's at the kind of closer where he's just got that shotgun command where. Every once in a while, he's going to make it a little shakier that he probably needs to, but he eventually usually gets the job done. And they came from behind on both their wins this weekend. It just right. that seems to be like where that uh, vibe comes from. That this is a team that's really going to uh, they're going to keep things interesting because they might be losing seven four. They're not going to give up in the bottom of the ninth with two outs in those situations. And if if they're up seven four, Burr's liable to walk two guys and then strike out the next three. Yeah. Which is what he did uh, in the last game. <laughs> is that literally much. what he did? Well, he walked the first batter, then he struck out the next two, and then it was a line drive to end the game. So, but he pitched in all three games. Yeah, me. I mean, he's a bulldog. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, I like the grittiness to the team. They haven't had a a clean weekend per se, but they've also faced some tough competition so far, and they've held their own against that competition. And like you said, I mean, they're a team that you never think they're out of the game. You always think they're going to have a rally in them. And that's, you know, you can't really point to any statistic for that, but it's, it's a quality that they have 
Um, and, uh, you know, I think they're a team to watch for in the Pac-12. Yeah, and, I, and as Jim and I both been, believe, I think, you know, Oregon State 15-5, and five, they definitely could, they could be ranked, too. We've got a lot of, you know. This, yeah, if they'd won that series, we would have pushed for them. No right? doubt. Yeah. No, no doubt. And that's, you know, there's a lot going on in this uh, with some of these teams in this league. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I like the depth of the Pac-12. You could really would like to see one of these years where the Pac-12 gets seven, eight, nine teams out of its ten. I guess what is it, ten or eleven baseball members that play? Uh, yeah. I guess it's a uh, no Colorado and no. Uh, or that's the only one. Remember. I think it's I think it's just Colorado. Yeah. I just I, I I'm so college expansion. <laughs> I really have a hard time with it's. A, they have eleven teams. So it's just Colorado, but I have a hard time remembering where all the teams are. Frankly, Florida Atlantic is one program. I cannot figure out where they are from week to week. And I went to high school down there. I mean, I know that program very well, but I'm always one league behind with Florida Atlantic. Uh, when they were in the Transamerica, then it changed its name to the Atlantic Sun, and then they moved to Sunbelt, and now they're in Conference USA. I think they might have been in Conference USA, then Sunbelt, and back to Conference USA. Honestly, Something I can't like keep track of, of some of those guys. That's the last thing we should talk about, guys. We did bring in Indiana. We debated bringing in Florida Atlantic. We debated bringing in Tulane. Uh, not that long on Tulane, frankly. Their resumes, they won a lot of games. Not a huge resume. We debated bringing in Maryland again, Oklahoma State, Notre Dame, Nevada, San Diego. We just talked about Oregon State. The back of the rankings, I guess, Mike, for me, are pretty soft. I mean, they, yeah. there's really, like... We, we, we had a lot of agreement basically through, like, number 17, 18, 19, and then... We were kind of scattered after that, right? Yeah, I mean the one team, the one team that I do really like after seeing them out in California is San Diego, but they're ten and seven. That's right. Not, you know, if the, they start off two and six against Moorhead State, and you know, it's just not. Uh, you know, they need to play a little bit better than that. But they have been on they an impressive been, run. Yeah. They have um, played better. They got that bad yeah. start, and they they start have started to play yeah. better. They've gone on an impressive run. They do have talent on the team. It's more of a pitching defense team than an offensive team than they have been in past years. Uh, bringing in the bringing in the Hill brothers has been big for them pitching wise. They've both been good. One in the rotation and one in the one in the bullpen. So. USD likes guys named Hill. They've been all they right do. with that. Has had they've had some success with that. I'm not sure that's what Ridge Hill looks for in, yeah. in a pitcher is a guy named Hill. But those two have been very effective for them. That was nice. Uh, and, and again, this team there, there's athleticism out there yeah. on that ball club. That seems to be what stands out for them. Starting with Kyle Holder at uh, shortstop, right? John? I wasn't even gonna say it. But yeah, <laughs> Kyle Holder. I mean, I, I feel like Kyle Holder. Uh, you know, I feel like he needs to be my backup point guard out there. I think yeah. I want him to play with. I want him feeding my kid. My kid had 12 points this weekend. Okay. Very excited. I'm surprised I don't. I didn't vine the it's a step back uh, jump shot that he drained this weekend in his game. I would have revined it. My vine game needs to be stepped up a few notches, guys. <laughs> several notches. One thing I want to touch on before we go, we've got UC Santa Barbara. We're talking about teams out west. Mm-hmm. Um, we, uh, we, and we're talking about Indiana. Jim, you can talk about the, 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 the flip side, which is Indiana sweeping, and they're really yeah. doing this. We had a Twitter question about it. Uh, what's the staying power for this team? It was Burt Granger wanted to ask, Indiana has an impressive run without Scott Efros, and then mm-hmm. we can also touch on Brendan McKay replacing Anthony Kisson in the Louisville rota- rotation. That's really just a matter of Brendan McKay just being lights out ridiculously good, making his case for freshman of the year. You know, take that Kel Johnson kind of. He's just been outstanding offense. De- you know, on the mound and in the lineup, Brandon McKay has been outstanding for, for Louisville. Mm-hmm. But more first at Jim, imp- Indiana's impressive run. I mean, they lost last year's cover boys, Schwarber mm-hmm. and Travis, and they just rolled right along with Chris Limonis, a big sweep of previously ranked Cal State Fullerton. So we have two Big Ten teams at the bank of, back of the rankings. And the flip side of that, maybe, Mike, you can touch on after Jim talks about the, the, the Hoosiers. What's going on in the Big West? The Big West is... 
very topsy-turvy. Only Santa Barbara really has kind of lived up the expectations. But Jim, just starting the Big Ten, I mean, Indiana, Illinois, mm-hmm. we like Nebraska, who you saw last week. And this, we thought this league was going to be very mm-hmm. competitive this year, and so far so good for the Big Ten. Exactly, yeah. I mean, with Indiana, I mean, obviously they lose their coach. They lose all the, right. the stars from last year. They lose Joey Donato from the top of the rotation. It was we're, a, just got done a steady about, veteran guy. We just got oh. done, done talking about Tracy Smith and how much mm-hmm. we like him. And that's a big mm-hmm. hole to replace, too. Exactly. I mean, it's... Uh, you know, I mean, F. Ross, obviously, they've kind of been without him. And, you know, Christian Morris, another guy who was uh, a holdover, has kind of uh, struggled a little bit. So, I mean, they've kind of had to piece it together, it feels like. But, I mean, look at uh, – they do have some holdovers, I mean, from last year. I mean, Scott Donnelly's been there. Uh, Casey Rod- Rodriguez's been there. Brad Hartong. Those are guys that have kind of been around. But uh, I mean, they've kind of had to, re- you know, find their identity offensively. I mean, they're not uh, they're not going to be the, the power team that they were before. But, I mean um, – you know, so you know, Sowers is a guy that you know um, had some big hits this weekend. He's a guy they like, a uh, freshman. I like Logan size. Sowers. Yeah, I, Logan there, Sowers. Um, there's physicality there. Mm-hmm. I, I think I was a little high on him at the draft last year, but this is a guy. He does have physicality and mm-hmm. just some offensive ability. Um, I'm not surprised that he's been able to step in from day one as a freshman and and contribute there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got you know, Donnelly, one of the guys I'm talking. You know, he's a you know a good pure hitter. You know, Red Hartong's you know pretty athletic and. You know, got you know got some good uh, you know veteran leadership there. So I mean, that's a you know, and when you look what they, I mean, they got ten hits off of um, Thomas Sesselman. I mean, right? He probably hasn't given up ten hits all season, but I mean, um, you know, and then uh, so they kind of outlast Fullerton in that game, win it in extra innings, and then they you know they scratch out a win against Justin Garza and on the uh, the second game of that uh, doubleheader, and then they you know so they kind of had to come from behind on Sunday to finish the sweep, but they they do that and they end up you know pulling away in that game. So I mean, that's a I mean, obviously, no. You know, obviously, we're, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about Fulton and here in a minute. But I mean, that's that's kind of a they're, they're their own story. But uh, right. I mean, I mean, that is impressive to sweep Fullerton on top of beating Stanford Week One when Stanford had Cal, Cal Quantrill, Quantrill yep. um, well, on the road, no less. So I mean, that's I think as I kind of wrote about in Tracker, they've only had Indiana has only had one uh, non-winning weekend. I mean, they've been for for all they've had to replace and. Reorganize, reshuffle, what have you. They've been really consistently good all season. They have been consistent, and they've also they moved Jake Kelzer into the weekend rotation. This is a guy who kind of I want to say he was a pop up necessarily. He was a sophomore eligible last year, right before the draft. Had some reports of him popping mid nineties velocity with a real hard slider, and and he didn't even pitch well in the finale there, and they were able to overcome that. So this is a team that it feels like Chris Lamonis has got a. I mean, obviously inherited some talent, mm-hmm. inherited some some guys who've been through winning, like you mentioned, some of their veteran guys like Casey Rodriguez, where they they know what they know how to win games, but uh, knowing how to do it and then doing it against caliber, consistent competition, mm-hmm. um, those are two different things. I also want to give any of some props. Pretty good attendance this weekend again. Yeah, look through their boxes. Was, yeah, you see kind of the the tweets they're sending out and everything. That was. I mean, you can tell the the buzz has not left uh, with right. It did not walk out the door with uh, Schwarber and Travis and all those guys. So uh, just very impressed with Indiana. Series win for Illinois again this weekend to stay in our rankings. Uh, just feel like the Big Ten really does have a chance to send quite a few teams to regionals. But, Mike, I don't know about the Big West <laughs> because it is hard to overcome losing records. You had Irvine go to Omaha last year. Um, but they're 8-10, and 10, and that's what they've rallied to get to 8-10. and 10. Uh, Riverside's under 500. Fullerton's at 500. Mm-hmm. Um, Cal Poly, we know the injuries they've had to deal with, and Mark Mathias is back now. But Cal Poly's six and 11. Uh, Hawaii's got a bad record. I mean, Jim, you saw them last weekend. They, 
They, they, they were the, the least talented team in mm-hmm. Houston, right? I mean, that's not a yeah. I mean, that's, to say. that's fair to say they were. Yeah, they're young. It's but a good yeah, field. They were, yeah, that, that's. I mean, yeah, you can't uh, get around that. But I mean, really, Northridge has been really the only kind of pleasant surprise in the entire Big West. I know. Talk a little bit, Mike, about what you saw. I can't believe I just did a talk about, but mm-hmm. I just did it. I can't ha- believe I'm, hashtag talk about. I did hashtag talk about. That's but, not uh, a question, John. It's not a question. Here's a question. <laughs> Why did Rick Vanderhoek kind of Johnny Holstaff it and kind of he was basically auditioning on Tuesday yeah. in that midweek gaming as USD you saw? What answers are you still looking for? And I guess he didn't really get any answers in Bloomington this weekend. Yeah, it, it was a bit odd. He said he was looking to see who would make the bus uh, <laughs> to Indiana, and uh, basically he threw out eight pitchers in that game and. Uh, a few freshman guys uh, in the lineup, and a couple of them. Tanner Bice hit a home run, his first career home run, and his third career at bat. So that was that was nice for them. But he said uh, his team was really just playing to try to impress him, and not necessarily playing for each other. But then again, when you when you create that kind of environment where it's basically a tryout, I mean, right. I would kind of think that they would play. Uh, to, to impress them. It, it was kind of odd, you know, because they were coming off a, a good weekend. They just got in their top 25, and then all of a sudden, you know, the lineup that he throws out there is, uh, you know, they don't have an opposing lineup to begin with, and then when you're when you're mixing in some of the younger guys, it's, you know, you're, you're kind of begging to, to, to lose that one to a hot San Diego team. So, and they did. And they did, and they did. They San Diego called them on it. And uh, so it was, it was a little strange to see. I mean, the thing about Cal State Fullerton is obviously as long as they have Eshelman and Garza, they're going to be in Friday and Saturday's games. It, it's just right. a matter of if they're going to be able to hit enough. And, and so far, you know, they really haven't. You know, they have half the time. Um, right. But, they really haven't, though. In, in yeah. general, it's, it's, it's kind of been a letdown. Yeah. I'm just looking through. I mean, it's early. We're, what, five weeks in? Yeah. Five weekends mm-hmm. in, and you're... But look at like the Warren Nolan RPI. You know, Big West teams are mm-hmm. kind of far down there, and they usually are. But I mean, it, it's going to be difficult, I think, for some of these guys. You know, it's like not like Northridge has played real strong competition. This feels like this might be a two bid league, guys. I mean, uh, other than Santa Barbara, I mean, it's. I don't know. There's. I mean, you figure Fullerton will figure out enough to get in, but it's, I think so. They did I mean, last year. Yeah, but it's. I mean. Other than that, I mean, it's it's. There's no one you can say, oh yeah, that team's, you can, you know, that team's going to be there. It's hashtag unimpressive right now. I mean, I'm just not. I'm not. It's it's early, but you just look at the way things have gone for the Big West historically. I feel like they're usually underrepresented by a team or two uh, in uh, the 64 team field. Um, well, I guess Long Beach is their team that you kind of think could be there. But, you know, they're they're sitting at 107 right now on the RPI. I and mean, that's again, it's. Way too early to be talking RPI in some ways, but I think it does tell you to an extent what they've done so far and how that's going you know, th- this is what the committee is going to be looking at. And the fact they beat Michigan and they played Utah Valley and this kind of thing, that's, that's not helping, you know, necessarily when it goes long term. So they play Fullerton this weekend in a non conference series, Long Beach State. The team that wins that series, I'm just looking at it right now, the team that wins that series has the inside track. <laughs> For being that second team, especially if they can finish well in conference play, then they play at the end of the year in forward to the last weekend series. So uh, Long Beach also just looking at their schedule. They've also got to go to Indiana later on this year. So that'll be a common opponent. So they're looking for that. They're looking for the Big Ten to. They're looking for that Big Ten bump. We've already, actually, they've already got a common opponent with them in uh, Stanford. I mean, the Titans lost to Stanford. Right. I mean, that's for, it. Uh, yeah. I Absolutely. Mean, so I'm just looking at the Big Ten. Um, you know, it has. 
the same number of teams, basically the same kind of ratio of teams that are way under 500. The problem with the Big Ten is you have the Rutgers, the Northwestern, the Penn State with some of these really ugly records that might drag down the non-conference, uh, you know, might drag down that conference RPI. But so three or four teams, whatever it's going to wind up being out of the Big Ten, I, I think it's safe to say the Big Ten probably going to get more teams. I know they have more teams. They're going to get more teams to the NCAA tournament, I bet, in the Big West. And that just that doesn't feel like that com- <laughs> computes. You know, it doesn't feel like that's necessarily right, but it feels like that's where we're trending, guys, and part of that, I mean, Indiana, I think, is trying to wreak its own havoc that way. Um, this is a fun podcast. Uh, I just The more I get into it, the more I enjoy talking college baseball, and uh, it's great to actually go see a game here locally, and the sun's out. I think I'm going to see a few games this week, um, so it's good, to, it's good to actually see teams in league play as well, and uh, the SEC, what we'll the research that one, I don't, know if, I don't think we've ever had five teams in the top six, guys. I can't believe we ever have. So we'll see that, how long that can hold up. So good stuff, guys. So for Jim Shutter and Mike Lanana, I'm John Manuel. We're brought to you by Louisville Slugger. Visit them at Slugger Nation on Twitter or on Instagram. Visit us at both of those, at Baseball America, Twitter and Instagram. And uh, if you're not already following, he's at Jim Shutter BA. He's at M. Lanana, L-A-N-A-N-N-A. Yes. Got that right? I think I've committed that to memory, uh, which is a good thing because uh, <laughs> I was struggling with it earlier. At least I didn't put you in the system wrong like I've done with many interns in the past. Uh, like Chris Colazzo? Chris Colazzo and Jacob Emmert with two M's last summer. I was, I had two interns. You had one job. I messed up the job on both counts. So uh, for those guys, I'm John Manuel, at John Manuel BA. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.